Hey everybody, this is Jim from faithtestedbyfire.com, and you are listening to the Faith Tested by Fire podcast. All right, welcome back everyone. This is Jim. You are listening to the Faith Tested by Fire podcast, and this is the podcast where we talk about the tests and trials of life, what God's Word says about it, and how to use the tools that God has given us so that we can be not just overcomers, but like the Bible says, more than overcomers uh, through him who loved us. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. I remember when I bought a little booklet from a Christian bookstore back in the fall of 1986, and it was a book about faith. And it was right at that moment that I felt like the Holy Spirit had just opened my eyes and my heart to a subject that would be something I would follow closely for the rest of my life. 1986, it's getting even further and further in the rearview mirror now. But uh, I look at this topic of faith as something that um, it's almost like when you go through different grades and levels of school where you learn the same topics over and over again throughout your entire uh, time in the school system, but you learn them maybe in a uh, deeper, more comprehensive way. Now, the funny thing about this topic is, is that the Bible says that except you become as children, and, and using children as an illustration, children don't understand the intricacies of the world around them and how things work. But think about, the Bible doesn't tell us to be child uh, like in our understanding, but it does say to be childlike in our faith. There is a point where I remember as a young uh, believer wondering, where did God come from? And one day somebody presented the argument to me that God doesn't have to come from somewhere because he is not bound by the laws of time. Um, he's not bound in, in this linear uh, timeline like we are. He exists out time of it. So the question is irrelevant um, when we apply it towards uh, eternity. And, you know, I didn't understand that. But I have to say that I had gotten to the point where that was good enough for me. Other questions like how did God fit all these animals on Noah's Ark? And I've actually heard um, Christians who are also scientists in the uh, in the secular sense, in the secular world, who uh, made a case for that the dimensions of the ark being big enough to fit every uh, type of uh, creature mentioned there in the Bible. Of course, you know, the things that lived in the sea, they wouldn't have been affected by the flood, and, and so on. So, you know, I, I looked at that and I thought, you know what, there comes a point where I found that I was able to leave my um, analytical mind behind and enter into a spot where I became like a child and just thought, well, this is great. I've looked at certain things like sunsets and, and looked into the sky at night. Um, I've looked into other things, even that men have built. And I have to be honest, these things were just beyond me. And I don't consider myself a, a what you would call a simple person. I test it with, with a high IQ. But that doesn't mean that I'm bound by uh, my ability to calculate um, and think and expound upon things and, and all of those things. 
A matter of fact, as time has gone on, I found that some of my natural strengths were actually hindrances to entering into some spiritual things. So there comes a time you, you need to you know, know that two and two equals four in order to survive in, in this world, right? I mean, if you're not capable of that, then we rely on somebody else to help us. You know, I understand that not everyone can understand enough about enough things to be completely self-sufficient. I, I'm sure that some of you, if some something, um, if you had some faulty wiring issue or something like that in your home, you could go out there and turn off the circuit box. And maybe some of you are certified electricians or or expert plumbers or or, or uh, you know auto mechanics or what whatever it is that you have experience in. I mean, to really get experience in everything, <laughs> you'd have to live, I don't know how many lifetimes. And so as a result, different people take different paths and we hire people that are experts to do the things that we can't do. But, you know, as time has gone on, sometimes we realize that, you know, we just can't let you can't let other people do your thinking for you or instead of you. And that's how people get into trouble. We see that in medicine a lot where people just rely on what the doctor says <clears throat> they rely on doctors and nurses and surgeons, and and it costs them their life. I mean, there's a lot of mistakes that happen in 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 medicine all the time. So, um, like like I like to point out, they they practice medicine just like attorneys practice law. They're, you would think that if they charge that much money, they should be done with the practicing side. They should know what they're doing, but it's just one of those things. Just. Just a little humor there, by the way, just a little humor. So I look at things now in the spiritual sense, and you may get the um, you may get the idea that perhaps like preachers have more um, gifts than you do or or greater faith. And um, having done ministry work um, throughout my life in some way, shape or form, in churches, out of churches, having met some of the um, more popular figures in uh, in different circles, the uh, the men and, and women maybe that you esteem highly, they're just men and women. And I know, I know because I've been there before, I thought maybe they had something extra that I didn't. And what they had was a gift that enabled them to give something of benefit to the people around them. But relative to their own personal lives, they were just like everybody else. They dealt with issues like in their thought life. They dealt with bad habits. And you would think that how could, unless you're in it, you know, there's a lot of things that we think when we're younger that we find out when we get older, aren't they just aren't so. Uh, there's a lot of people maybe we esteemed as being like almost superhuman that as the years go on, we get to know them, we find out, well, they're just really good in this area, but in, in other areas are just like everyone else. And it's the same way spiritually. And the Bible tells us that. The Bible actually tells us a lot of things. It's just that we're slow to believe it some sometimes. So, for example, the Bible says that Elijah, the one who did all of those uh, wonderful miracles that God wrought through him, uh, and Elijah and Elisha, the one who followed, they were all... They were normal people just like we are. It says, let me get to, um, let me actually get to this. Let me go to the New King James Bible. First, before we, we turn there, let me just reiterate. Hebrews 11.1, 1, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, 
the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report, and through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. They were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made with things which do appear. So uh, when we pray in faith, trusting God, that the healing that you're going to receive is not going to be made by things which do appear. The deliverance that you experience is not going to be made by things which do appear. Faith is invisible. It's not seen. The Bible says that we walk by faith and not by sight. The problem is we live in a world where sight is important, right? That bill that you have sitting on your table is real, or that collection notice has real people behind it. Has re- everything has real-world consequences. But faith in it allows us to connect into the spiritual world and enables us to step into that place where as a believer believing in Jesus Christ the bible says that we are we're, are part of his body part of his church part of his family and so we have access just like the royal family but the very bottom royal in the royal family in, in a we can use maybe the uk as an example. You know, they carry the weight of that royal seal behind them. And it's same thing like that with God. God has a family. Jesus is the head. The Bible calls all those who believe as his as his body, part of him. It, 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 that's what the, the church, the word church actually means, the called out ones. You've been called out, set apart by God for a special purpose. And you have the Holy Spirit dwelling on the inside of you. All of these things sound good. They're all easily forgettable when you start walking just by the things that you see. When the things that you see don't line up with what the Bible says belongs to us. And if you're new to the Bible, you may think, what belongs to me? Well, you know, the Bible is called the New Testament and the Old Testament. They are things that God has willed to his people. God created a covenant uh, an old covenant, which was an agreement. If you do this, then I will do this, right? It's an agreement, a formal agreement. Now we have an agreement with God, a new and a better covenant, the Bible says, established upon better promises. God says, if you believe in Jesus, if you believe in my word, if you believe in his name, that you will do this and I will respond like this. So we have an agreement, whether we know it or not. It's kind of like that old story about the guy that bought a ticket on a transatlantic uh, ship coming over to America about a hundred or so years ago, and the whole time he didn't have any money or barely enough money, so he didn't join them in the dining car or in the dining area or anything like that. And when they arrived in uh, on Ellis Island, he one of the uh, workers on the ship said, I noticed you didn't join everybody in like the dinners and stuff like that. You basically stayed in your room. Was there something we did that offended you? And he said, um, no, not at all. He said, I just didn't have enough money. Um, so I just basically brought some stuff with me and I ate that throughout this, throughout my trip. And he said, the man looked at him shocked and he, uh, the person on the boat said on the ship, sir, I'm, I'm so sorry. I, I, the, the food and everything was included with your ticket. I, I'm so sorry that no one told you that or that you didn't know. 
And you know, can you imagine the shock of that? Can you imagine that help was always available? Everything you needed was there, but you just didn't know it. You just didn't know it, so you didn't take advantage of it. I think a lot of people will go into eternity that way, finding out they didn't have to be sick. They didn't have to be destitute. They didn't have to be lost. They didn't have to uh, struggle as much as they did. God had everything available for them. It was all written in the Word. And But people look at that, and they think, well, I don't know that meant for me. you know, or, or they read it and thought, well, I can see it being for other people, but not for me. And they never spent enough time really contemplating it. Right? They just read it like you might read. Have you ever tried to put something together and you kind of sort of read the instructions, but not really? You know, you're in a hurry. Well, people do the Bible like that. See, they, they hurry through some of these things or they hear something, it sounds good, and they half-heartedly do it. And so that when they don't see results, then that's no longer a viable option. The next time something goes wrong, they revert back to the things they become most comfortable with. Well, a- after a lifetime of, of thinking and praying about, when I, when I say praying, I'm not talking about like I'm on the hard floor on my knees. I've been there before. It's uncomfortable. Um, but I'm not saying that, you know, with my forehead to the floor, that kind of praying, I'm talking to God kind of like I'm talking to you. Now, sometimes I talk in very casual tones and sometimes more official and sometimes pleading and sometimes laughing and sometimes just shaking my head because something has happened that's just beyond me. But, um, the, the faith like a child has where the point is where you realize where your ability ends. I think that's that's the way it is with children. They they acknowledge where their ability ends and they rely on a parent to help them. So when it comes to God, except you you become as a child, you come to a point where you realize that, you know what, all of my worrying isn't changing anything. All of my efforts aren't enough. I cannot lift this weight. I cannot move this obstacle. I cannot get from here to there. And, uh, we, you know, we have a choice. We could just say, well, that's just the way it is, or... We can go into God's promises and uh, and place a demand, right? Like that man, he could have come out there and asked some questions. How do all of you people afford to eat so extravagantly every night? I'm sure somebody would have said, well, actually we can. If it wasn't for the food being included with the ticket, we wouldn't be eating like this, right? If he would have just interacted a little bit, he would have had somebody give him the answer that he need it. No, and it's like that. Sometimes, maybe you don't really understand everything that you're reading in the Bible, and that's okay. Do you know the Bible says that you have no need that any man teach you? That's why the Holy Spirit was given to you. Now, having teachers, that's just a gift, but God doesn't want you to be reliant on a teacher. God wants us to be reliant on him, and we've all been there. We've all wondered, well, what does so-and-so think about this? Or what does so-and-so believe? And by having another person um, there as a support, it helps encourage us. So, for example, if you have a certain kind of problem and somebody that whose opinion you respect tells you, yes, God wants to help you in this area, it gives you an extra boost of encouragement. But if that person wasn't there, is that same encouragement available in the Bible? Well, sure, absolutely it is. But, um, okay, so let me, just, let me just add this 
to this conversation as long as I'm talking about this. But a lot of times when we don't see help coming and we wonder, is there a reason why God is not moving or helping us? Or is there a reason why we're stuck in this hole? When you start thinking like that and looking at yourself as the possible cause, there's a pro and a con to that. The pro is if you look inside your own heart, sometimes you see that you're just not, I don't know, I guess one way would, would be to put it, your heart is just not in it. You don't want to be doing what you're doing. Um, you're, you're, you know, you don't want to be uh, somewhere. Maybe you have to be. I guess it's what we might call an attitude adjustment. We need attitude adjustments ongoing in life. Don't? Wouldn't you agree with that? Isn't there sometimes you just feel selfish and you don't want to be involved with something that maybe, like, if you were objective about it, it would be good for you to be there to help out and be with that group of people. You know, sometimes people don't ask. They're not really asking for a lot. And it's not really like you have to go out of your way that much to help. But have you ever just been selfish where you just didn't want to do it? Have you ever thought, well, nobody's ever really helping me. Let them let them do their own thing, you know. But then you've also had mercy sometimes. And you said, let me go help that person. You know, and, and after the fact, sometimes we look back and we think, you know what? I never really, you know, I was kind of stingy and and in how I was willing to offer help, whether it was being physically there or, you know, help giving them a few dollars to help them out or or to be involved in some kind of cause or something like that. I mean, sometimes we just go through the motions and our heart isn't in it. And, you know, no wonder, you know, the thing never really gets to what we hoped it would be. But, you know, if we look at our own lives and we think, well, why isn't, why aren't I being blessed? How come I'm still suffering? If we look at ourselves as the reason, there's always going to be something wrong that we're going to see when we look back at ourselves, right? You could always be a better person. You could always be more loving. You could always held your tongue when you didn't. You know, you sometimes you tell half-truths because if you t- actually told the things as they were, people would get mad and wouldn't want to talk to you anymore if you said what you really felt. You know, I mean, all these things, we look back at ourselves and and then we think, well, maybe all these things are reasons why my faith and my prayers don't change anything. And, and that seems to make logical sense, doesn't it? But if you look further into the Bible itself, you can uh, see here that the Bible gives us in the New Testament, which is called a better covenant built upon better promises. What does that mean? Better Think about all of the miracles people received in the Old Testament. God's people, even when they were wandering through the wilderness, God was there to help them under an old performance-driven covenant, right? So they they had to do all these things. They were still blessed. God still caused them to overcome their enemies. But how much more people could overcome their enemies with a new and a better covenant, better. Think about that, a better covenant. Sometimes I used to think, I I wish I was alive back in the Old Testament days and saw those mighty miracles and all those things happen. Wow, wouldn't that be something? But you know, the human condition kind of points into the opposite direction because a lot of those people just went back to doing the same old things they were doing before. Now, now in their uh, culture, it was idols, right? Worshiping gods that weren't really gods. They were just false idols. In our culture, it's a little bit different. We go back to doing our own thing. Sometimes, a lot of times, we idolize money without even realizing it, meaning we're always thinking about how we can make more or how we could do better, uh, you know, put put more away. And I'm not saying that, you know, there's anything wrong with money. 
<coughs> the money is not evil. It's the lust for money. Uh, that's that's where evil is. But you know, getting back to this new and better covenant, what are what are God's commandments in the New Testament? What what is His commandments? Well, the Bible says in First John three twenty three, and this is His commandment that we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. He that keeps his commandments, what are his commandments again? Believe in Jesus and love one another. Those are the only two things that we're called upon to focus. John, who wrote this, who was the disciple that Jesus loved, do you think you would get like bad advice from him? <laughs> Think about this for a minute. He says in 1 John 3.21, he says, Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, we have confidence towards God. Well, if we're living with an old covenant mentality of performance, we're never going to have confidence because our heart is always going to be condemning us. There's always something we're not doing. See, we're talking about how faith works. Faith doesn't work in, a, in an atmosphere of self-condemnation. It, it just doesn't. Right? There's no expectancy, there's no belief, there's no anticipation when we're not sure if God's happy with us or not. See, if our heart condemns us, right? if we do something that everybody else says that's sin, or something that we think is sin, or sometimes it's not even the things that we're doing, it's the things we're not doing. When we look at that, we're back into a performance-based, all the focus is on you mentality. The reverse of that, the better covenant, gives us this way. We believe on the name of Jesus. Our focus leaves ourselves and refocuses on Jesus and being loving towards one another. How, how, do we, how do we love other people? Think about that. What are some practical ways that you can love someone else? Well, you know, I mean, there's some practical physical things you can do. You know, you can shake someone's hand, you can look in their face and smile and be kind to them, give them a kind word of encouragement. Those are act of love. You can give them some food if they're hungry, right? You can, uh, you can help them get up if they've fallen. Just simple physical things that you really don't have to really think too much about. If you're thinking about Jesus, those things kind of come naturally uh, to you. Um, so that's what we call loving one another. And there's all kinds of ways, deeper ways, you know, that, that we can do it. And when the focus is on us and we're self-analyzing, that's where we see all the problems. When our focus is on Jesus, what almost happens is we, we free ourselves up. It's almost like we get out of our way. When our mind and our heart is focused on, uh, on Jesus, then it's, like, it's almost like if you were a hose, and you turn on the water and it flows. But then, you know, you can bend the hose, you can crimp it up. Well, looking back at ourselves is kind of like crimping up the hose. It, it stops the flow of God's Holy Spirit coming from the source, flowing out, down through us, out into our situation. Now, if you've struggled for a long time and your focus is back at yourself and you keep trying to correct yourself, you keep trying to fix yourself, I, I agree that we should do what's in our power to live better, to think better, to talk better, to just be a better human being all the way around. I, I believe that you have to put some kind of effort in. That said, I believe that, you know, if... If you, if every day was like a test, 
and we got a grade for every day, there's nobody ever hitting 100%. You know, so you can get caught up with 90. 90% or 80% could be your equivalent of 100. It's, and that's why the Bible says our own righteousness is like a filthy rag to God. He gives us a new kind of righteousness, one that was bought and paid for by himself, by Jesus personally. He gives that to us. So all of the tough work was his. Now, our fight in the New Covenant is the good, what the Bible calls the good fight of faith. Bible doesn't say fight your enemy. It says love your enemy. Bible doesn't say fight demons or uh, the devil or evil spirits. It says resist them, right? Jesus said when you see them, cast them out it, using his name. So now let's get down to some practical things because I know I've been talking for a little bit. Um, I wanted to read this uh, to you. I heard this um, story, and then when I, I lost it, and then I found it again. This is based on Philippians 2.13, which says, For it is God that worketh in you, both to will and to do his good pleasure. Think about that. God's working in you so that your will will become his will. Now, if you had to do that all on your own, that would be pretty tough. Because first, we always have to go back to the Bible and find out what God's will is. And then even when we find out what God's will is, isn't there something inside of you sometimes that just, if it's too good, doesn't want to believe it? Isn't it easier to believe the worst? <laughs> you know, I mean, it's easier to sit on the floor than to get up sometimes. That's just uh, the way the human condition is. But God's working you not only just to will, but to do it, his good pleasure. So that means with the work of the Holy Spirit happening inside you, you're going to start doing God's will and not even be conscious sometimes that you're doing God's will because it's God working in you both to will and do it. So God's bypassing your head, going right to your heart. And, you know, sometimes we don't realize it, that we're saying things and God's inspiring us to say. We don't realize it until after the fact. And it's good that way because if we, that's what that kind of like be like a little child is, you know, when you're trying to intellectually walk through it using your own intellect, uh, you know, it kind of be like if, somebody threw a basketball to you and said, make this shot and you'll win that brand new car over there. And now you have all this pressure on you. Oh, I'm not good and I'm not strong and I'm not coordinated and let me try and imitate what I see them do on the TV. And, and you're all nervous and everything as opposed to somebody just saying, here, throw this basketball. And maybe you throw it like a dozen times or so before you get it in. Maybe you're better than that. And then somebody says, great, see that basket you made? Yeah, I'm going to give you that car because of it. Wow, you didn't even know that in the beginning. It is a good thing because if you knew that, then you would have been all agitated and uptight about it. A lot of times God blesses us when we do things that he wants us to do, but we don't really realize it's him at the time. And he doesn't want us to realize it because there's something in our human condition if we think, okay, this activity is going to result in a blessing or not, then we become works-minded again. We get our eyes off of God and back onto our own efforts. And we hope that uh, helps you. This is a story of a man who had a, a malignant growth on the side of his face. And it looked big like a purple eggplant, they said. And it said it had grown almost as big as his head. And it reminds me of the elephant man when, they, when I heard this story. And they said the doctors wouldn't touch it. They did all the preliminary examinations, but they said that he'd live longer if they left it alone. So he'd been in all kinds of healing meetings because he, he believed that God healed. 
But healing evangelists had laid hands on him the, and prayed. The pastor had anointed him with oil and prayed, and many other people had prayed. And can you can you can you kind of relate to that? Just me talking about that. Can, can you feel like he might have felt? Maybe you don't have something like that. Hopefully in your life, but is there something else in your life that maybe you don't even pray about it anymore because you've just kind of sort of learned to live with it because it's been around for so long? You know, there's been things like that where <clears throat> they're annoying, uh, annoying things in life that you learn to live with. When it's critical, when it's critical, then you have a little more motivation to go in there and pray. And and, and when life and death are, when it's really like that, then of course, that's if you can't get motivated by that, I guess nothing's going to motivate you. But the story went on and it said that the pastor um, said that one day he said he noticed the growth was still there when the man came in to church, but he could see that it was shriveling and the entire church could see it. And then he went on to say within a three or four month period, he said, we saw the whole thing get smaller and smaller. And then the man came to church one day and that there wasn't a thing in the world wrong with his face. Every bit of the tumor was gone, and the skin on his face looked like a new new baby skin, he said. And then, so the pastor went to him, and he said, well, what happened? Tell me the story. And he uh, told the pastor that he had been reading the Bible one morning, and he came to Philippians 2.13. Let me read that to you again. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So he read that uh, scripture, and he says, every morning— when he looked in the mirror, he would put his hand on the growth and say, God's working in that. Philippians 2.13 says that it's God that's working within me, and he's not only working in my spirit, he's also working in my body. God's working in that. God's working in that. He's working not only in my spirit, but he's also working in my body. And he said he kept saying that for days and weeks. And then he said after about three months— he saw that the growth was beginning to shrivel, and eventually it all just uh, disappeared. And I have to tell you, I've been reading testimonies for years. Um, sometimes I used to be like, you know, somebody would have like a, a new book for sale, um, talking about miracles and stuff like that. I used to buy them and, and, and read them and think about all the insights. And, uh, and to tell you the truth, um, I, I enjoy the books, but... If you have a wall, the book that you need is the Bible. When you hit a wall, you need the Bible. You don't need a book about the Bible. When you really need healing, you you as as great as these other books are, you need to see it for yourself, right? You need to see that it's God's will for you to have that thing. You you need the scriptures, in other words. So, um, so that's what happened, and and it disappeared, and, and you know. When I heard the testimony, uh, the guy that was uh, sharing it said that God didn't single this man out uh, to bless him. Basically, he this person saw the Bible, where, what this Bible said. He read the word. He began to believe it for himself, and he received what the Bible said. The, well, you know what the Bible says? At the name of Jesus, every knee must bow of things in heaven, of things on earth, and of things under the earth. What did Peter uh, say in the book of Acts when he saw the lame man uh, by the side of the um, temple, in the front of the temple? He said, Jesus Christ heals thee. 
rise, take up your bed and walk, or rise and walk. And he lifted him up and he says immediately he was healed. And we can see that time and time again. Their, their prayers were very simple. Damsel, I say unto thee, arise. But, you know, when we read it and we try something like that, it doesn't happen. Then a lot of times now we start looking for something that's broken. Right? And this testimony is a perfect example. This man said it for three months. I know another person that was uh, doing the same thing for their eyes. They were wearing glasses and worn glasses all their life and was getting older. And they would say the same thing every day. They would get up and they would speak and they would to their eyes. Now, you might think, what exactly do I say? And, and that's what I used to think. And that's what the people around me used to think. We used to talk about it. <clears throat> if you literally go into the Bible and you see what they said, you could just repeat it for yourself. I mean, um, what did Peter say to uh, the man at the beautiful gate? He said, in the name of Jesus, right? Jesus Christ heals you. Rise, take up your bed. So it, it's not so much the actual words that you use, of course, right? He wasn't speaking in English at the time. Um, it's not so much the word, it's the intent behind the words. Mark 11.23 says, Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed. Thou means you in modern English. So it's, he's like saying, Hey, you, be removed. Leave. Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. Um, so he's saying, Hey, you, be cast into the sea. In the book of um, Genesis, the tra little translation when God's creating everything, he says, Light be. Light be be like that you know it's not like he, it's not a complex type of thing light be well what if we said light be and light wasn't you know we would probably just if we're relying on god just keep on saying light be day in and day out week in and week out like this man was say, repeating because see the thing is when it, when we're talking about faith god doesn't need to be convinced we do when we say these things over and over and over again, I, I've come to the conclusion that, that repeat it, like, for example, let me finish Mark eleven twenty three. It says, Therefore I say unto, um, Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but believe the things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. The word saith there means to continue to say. You will have what you continue to say. That's what Jesus literally said out of his own mouth. And he used the word whosoever. That would mean the person, that would apply to the people living, unless that law just went into effect the moment he said it and wasn't in effect before that. It would apply to the people from Adam and Eve all the way down to the last people ever on on this earth in this earth realm right whosoever means whosoever who the bible says whosoever shall call upon the name of the lord shall be saved that means young or old rich or poor male or female jew or greek bond or free all of the whosoever shall well the same whosoever is here again whosoever shall say he shall have what he continues to say. And do you know that that works for the negative as well as the positive? Think about how many things you say over and over again. He shall have whatsoever. Whosoever shall have whatsoever he continues to say.
And, and so that, that came as like a real eye-opening to me because, you know, it, the word isn't even pray there. The Bible says, therefore, what things soever you desire when you pray, believe you receive them and you will have them. Well, I believe that God's heard me, but now I must continue to say things that line up with the things that I've prayed for. So um, if I've prayed for my business or I've prayed for my job or my work or my body, I have to continue to say by faith that I'm healed or I'm whole or business is prospering or whatever. He shall have, he, she shall have whatsoever. Whosoever shall have whatsoever they saith. Continue to say. Now, this man said it for 90 days before he saw his first result. First time I did this, um, I did this for probably three months. Yeah, probably about three months before I saw uh, the result of what I was doing. And if you've listened to this podcast, I've told you about other things. Uh, There was a time when I'd injured myself really badly. I was home alone. I couldn't stand up. I was doubled over, and I had done some internal damage where basically I was vomiting for probably— I stopped counting it, if I remember correctly, um, I think at 15 times. There wasn't even anything left to come up, but I couldn't stand up. I couldn't walk. I could only breathe in gasps. And I was on the floor for an hour saying, Jesus is healing me now. 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 Sometimes I'd stop and I'd say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus is healing me now. I said it like a whisper because I couldn't talk normally. And I was doubled over in agony on the floor. And after about an hour of saying it, Suddenly, I felt a breeze come into the room. Everything was shut up. It was this not the kind of season yet. I think it was the fall or the winter, if I remember right. And the uh, breeze, the Holy Spirit breeze came in the room. It went right through my body. literally felt it go right through my body, and I stood up perfectly normal after that. And I was in such... I went from, from critically bad condition, you know, and... and it was, and I can go over episode after episode. I can also tell you episodes where I failed to receive. And the reason was, I, is I started questioning why it was taking so long. See, when I was in a desperate situation, I put every what little bit I had into it, but it was all I had. I, I gave it 100%, in other words. I was totally relying on God because I couldn't fix myself. The situations where I struggled the most is... When I put all of the pressure back on myself to perform better, to think clear, to think better. And, and there's nothing wrong with all of those things. It's just where is your faith? In, what is your faith in? Is it in your training? Is it in your personal experience? Because if it is, if you place it in those things, it almost it almost seems like God kind of is there, but he's not there like he can be there. Does that make sense? God is active, but he's not active like 100% like he wants to be. It's almost like we block him. Somehow, you know, I've prayed for people and seen them get instant results and I prayed for people and not see them get instant results. And I noticed that it's harder to pray for the people that I personally love and care for people in my family, because there's a natural fear there of what they're going through. And there's a lot of emotions tied to it. And so a lot of this praying and travailing that we see is getting through that for ourselves 
praying through our own doubts and fears is what causes this intensity of prayer, not the fact that God's 100 miles away and it takes like this superhuman effort to get to him. It's not that at all. It's all these human elements that blur our minds and um, and our hearts. And that's why it seems like it's every, some of these battles are so tough, right? Because we, we were dealing with our own emotions and our own fears and our own hesitancies. You know, Jesus didn't have that those things. He, he had mastered as a man um, that kind of fight. And you can see that the kind of fight that he fought in the Garden of Gethsemane where the drops of sweat like blood were coming down from the because he, he wanted to he knew what was going before he was going to take on the sin of every human being who who has ever or will ever live and the beatings and the scourgings and all that going to the cross you know the victory was going through just a hard place and a, a lot of times for us our victory goes through our own really hard places and, and it's hard just because of our our individual personal makeups you know, that's why Paul got to the point where he said, I live, but it's no longer I, but Christ that lives in me. You know, so a lot of times, you know, people say die to self. Well, you know, I understand what that means, but um, there's a better you. There's a better you around the next corner. And you just have to be willing to believe that and allow God to, you know, I've been a believer for, I don't know, 30 something years. And if, if there's anything that I, I can say with, complete 100% confidence, it's that um, most of our problems involve us getting in our own way and just intellectualizing everything like to the point where, you know, sometimes we become our own worst enemies. But, but faith works. You don't, you don't need anybody special to pray for you. If you believe in Jesus, you're as special as you are ever going to be on this side of eternity. Um, God's going to make you better and stronger, but you're not going to get it by just putting in natural human effort. That's just going to make you frustrated. Put in the effort, but look to God 100% for the results. And don't put one eye on God and one eye on your problem. You know, sometimes we get in the habit of, even those who don't understand what faith is and the basics of praying and all of that, we think that if I only had more knowledge, I'd have the victory, right? But it's not a matter of more knowledge. It's just a matter of, of persevering and keep being a doer of the word instead of a hearer only. You know, if the Bible says that you, you, you have, you're going to have what you say, then why would you ever complain about it taking so long and, and it possibly not working? Why would you ever be afraid when Jesus said, you will have whatsoever he saith? Uh, you know, sometimes it feels like we're the author and finisher of our own faith when we're trying to do it in our own strength. But the Bible says that Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith, and he's given to us the measure of faith. Bible says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but as God has given to you the measure of faith. I understand that now better than ever before. I know that even with my, all of my understanding, even with my past experience, without the help of the Holy Spirit in this particular circumstance or that particular circumstance, I can't win. I mean, Jesus himself said, without me, you can't do anything. And so... There's freedom on the other side of letting go, right? There is a rest that is available for those who will enter into faith. God has a rest for his people, but we have to fight our own inclinations and our own kind of like personality quirks to get to the place where we can let go, where we can release control and give God the complete control over the situation. 
See, the balance is the Bible doesn't say just sit on the, ca- on the couch and leave it all in God's hands. We do what we can do, but we have to know and acknowledge where that place is. Okay, I've done my part. Now, having done all to stand, I must stand and believe, and I must defend against the fiery darts of the, of the enemy that are telling me that it's not happened yet because you're no good or you have inferior faith or you're not really believing. Or I mean, there's just a, li- a laundry list that goes on. And every time you look at yourself, you're taking your eyes off of Jesus, right? If you know you've sinned, you know you've fallen short, ask for forgiveness just like you would with somebody who's close to you and your family. You know that maybe you, you weren't, um, maybe you were a little short in your temper or you didn't give them, you know, the time that they were asking of you or you forgot something that was important to them. Ask them for forgiveness, but don't just, you wouldn't go back to that person, you know, and worry, well, what if they don't forgive me? You know, your family, you know, and God's not like like a man where it takes him like weeks to get over things. You know, God gets over it and moves on. You're not, you may not get over it. You know, you may be beating yourself up, but that, that's not going to help you, right? What's going to help you is to put it in the past. It's separated. The Bible says God separates our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. Anyway, I hope that helps you. Thank you so much again for joining me today for this podcast. This was part four of How Faith Works. I hope I gave you some something practical that uh, you can believe and hold on to. If anything else, just know that just keep looking to Jesus and keep saying uh, whatever it is that you Whatever it is that you need, just keep saying that you have it. Say it that it's done. Say that it's done by the power of the Holy Spirit. Say that it's done by the blood of Jesus. Whatever it is that inspires you on that day, just make sure you do it. And tomorrow's a new day. If you still don't see the answer, you know, you just keep on keeping on. I know uh, for people in my family, whenever I see them and I remember it, I, I, I'll lay my hand on their shoulder and I, I'll say, Thank you, Lord. Their teeth are restored, their gums are healthy. Uh, all the decay has been removed in the name of Jesus. Their teeth are healed from the inside out. And and whatever their infirmity is, if they haven't received a visible answer, whenever I see them, I'll lay their hand and say it again. And when I keep, when I keep doing that, then it reminds me also to do it for myself, for the things that I haven't seen the answer for yet, right? Or to say it, it reminds them to start saying it, right? They start saying it. They get involved in it. See, the first time you say it, you do that, you lay hands on someone, and say, thank you, Lord, for making this person's body heal. I thank you that their neck is strong. I thank you that their eyesight is restored and strong. You say it the first time, they kind of laugh kind of nervously. But then after a while, they'll actually get into it. They'll start saying it. You know, So you can apply that to your finances. You can start applying that to your personal life, your personal situation, whatever it is. And the more you say it, the more you start thinking about Jesus. Because when you say something, you know, you're actually hearing it for yourself. So... Hope that helps you. God bless you. Thank you for listening, and I will see you next time.